fasten your seat belt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Right, it is the 30-something movie podcast, and I am your host, John Reed, and this evening I have with me Jeff Mazuka. Hi. Pat Canigallo. hey And uh, we may or may not have a dentist show up at some point. I'm not sure. He's he's off traversing the globe somewhere, so he may show up. I, I want a dentist. What's that from A Little Shop of Horrors, but it's dentist? Dentist, yeah. Get me a dentist. Yeah. I can't remember how that song goes, but I'll we need be to like re- dentist. Yeah, we need to rewrite that for Dennis. Okay, I think I'll be your Dennis. I'll be your Dennis. Okay, I don't even know if I'm like if that's close. I, th- I believe the lyric is "I want to be a dentist." I want to be a dentist. Oh, okay, all right. All so right. we need to re we need to rewrite the lyric a little bit. We need to have a dentist. Okay, I think we, we want to have a dentist. We yeah, can work with that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I want to be your dentist. Maybe. Is that weird? It's all weird. I don't think it really matters. Yeah. It's all very very weird. All mm-hmm. right. Well, everybody, this this is not the Little Shop of Horror episode, but this is the episode for literally and figuratively a few good men. We have a few good men here tonight. Aww. You say these nice things, and then I just have to stop thinking about all the jokes I was going to make. I know. See, that's I, I do that on purpose. I feel well, like I should behave now. I already figure, see, i pulling back the curtain just a little bit, which oh, I... Too much. I see too much. much. Okay, sorry. I will pull that back just a little <laughs> bit further. Pulling back the curtain only partway. Uh, I imagine that there's probably going to be plenty of other jokes tonight because uh, if if anyone listening to the show can tell, my voice is not quite the same as it normally is. Been a little sick this weekend, i.e. a lot of sick this weekend, and have no voice left. So I am fully expecting, like, was it yesterday, I think, and I I was trying to get the kids to, to come upstairs for dinner, and I was, like, yelling down to the basement because Nora's bedroom is down in the basement, kind of over by where all my podcast stuff is. And so I'm trying to yell downstairs, and of course, I have no voice, so it comes out sounding like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and it was kind of like a, Nora, come on downstairs. So Zoinks! Zoinks! Scoob! So I imagine that's probably going to happen a few times tonight, and I'm not even going to bother to edit any of it out, so feel free at any point in time to make Scooby-Doo jokes anytime I do that. Not, uh, not, with, not if you're the butt of the jokes. Why not? That just wouldn't... That, well, I, uh, your butt is not involved in the jokes. Well, let's talk about your big butt, Simone. <laughs> Everybody's got a big butt. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on here. 
I do know what's going on here. We're here to talk about A Few Good Men, and it's not just us. It is the movie. Um, spoiler alert, we spoil freely here, so be warned. Um, and then visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can rate, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon. I'm also going to very quickly give some free advertising to our good buddy, good buddies over at the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. They were very, very nice and sent me, I think, turn it around over here. We're not a video podcast, so nobody's going to be able to see this except you guys, but they sent me one of their Surely podcast tumblers. Those are fantastic, man. Those are nice. So, so I'm going to be hydrating with the Shirley, Pod- Shirley Podcast Tumblr tonight. <laughs> easy for, That's easy pretty awesome. Question is, but the way you're slurring your speech, how do you hydrate your I was right. going to say, dude, you couldn't, we couldn't do that if we tried. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, we create that. And mine and Pat's must have gotten lost in the mail. I, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Or if it's like when I was invited to do my Shirley showcase under Pat's name, I'm probably going to get a Tumblr that says Pat. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, wait, no, sorry. We had one for you as well. You're just as equal and, and important. So, so funny story, kind of on a, on a related tangent. My dad worked at this company for, for many, many years, right? And I got a summer job there. And somehow they got... Our, when I was in college, they had like summer temp work and everything. And somehow they got our names messed up because when he had like acquired what 35 years at the company or whatever, however many years at the company. And I was working there at that time, you get your own parking space. You get to pick out wherever in the lot you want it. And there's a little plaque that goes up. It was my name on the plaque for the parking space that he got. And then it was like, Oh, there was some disgruntlement about that. And he had to go and get it officially changed and all that. And then a week later, the company expense card for, for business trips came to my cubicle, which was like in the summer temp. So I had like a company card and I'm like, dad, check this out. And he said, that was like swipe. He took that like in no time that was gone. So <laughs> I don't know what Jeff, when you're talking about that, it just made me think, and I still razz my dad. I got, I got my own parking space. I got the company card. That was, that was funny. A little clerical, clerical error with Pat, that. Pat, to paraphrase one of our favorite movies, if someone gives you a corporate credit card, you don't tell anyone about it. That's right. You just keep it quiet. <laughs> it's just like, if they ask if you were given one, you say no. No. Mm-hmm. 600, 600 Papa John's pizzas, 400 tickets to AMC. Oh, man. Well, that's awesome. And I'll tell you, you know what else is awesome? The Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Those guys just, like, it is just great stuff. I was listening to their Toto episode the other day. That was awesome. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. It, I'm very excited to hear where they're going to come down on Toto versus Duran Duran. Yes. Yeah, I, I got to be honest, I don't know much about Duran Duran. Listen to me pronounce it, Duran Duran. Duran Duran. I am a fan of Toto, but not like hardcore. So like their podcast was like incredibly informative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What about you? What about you guys? Are you guys fans of either group or casual fans or what? I'm probably casual fans of both Yeah. at best. But I mean, the, the mere fact that, Africa has been downloaded like what they say, like a quadruple billion, duple trillion times. Yeah, some insane right. amount. Like, like that, that should just win the argument. Does Duran yeah. Duran have a song that's been downloaded a bazillion times? Well, and the amazing thing is, I think it's been load, uh, downloaded like a bazillion times in the last four years. Right. Well, and then, oh, and they made the point. Well, downloading, downloading wasn't a thing when it came. And so it's like, 
wow, it's just, that's, that's cool when you have a timeless song like that. Although on the flip side, did Toto ever do the song for a Bond movie? Duran Duran had. Mm, yeah. Duran Duran had oh. View to a Kill. Oh. Did. So, I don't know. There's there's a lot of good ammunition on either side. Well, yes. thank God it's not our podcast right. that has to decide that. I'm not making that decision. Strange, they used Africa in Stranger Things. Ooh. Just saying. That's true. I, I use the song Hold the Line to embarrass my daughter every time I drop her off at school. I just I roll down the windows and I crank up the volume. Yeah. It's a good time. I think she really enjoys it, even though she screams and runs out of the car crying. Yeah. Yeah, my kids don't want their friends to know that they have a father. Yeah, that happens. Or they don't want to let their friends know that I'm their father. I'm not sure. Maybe that's what it well, is more. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, those Shirley guys, man, holy cow. Yeah. D and Jason, what a great show. And just just fantastic stuff. Good so stuff. yeah. So head on over, check them out as well. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic people. Yes. They're good people. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Are you ready? See, now there's no there's no way for me to say this without making it sound you, awkward. Can you transition? <laughs> well, Where are we going, John? Where are we going? Because my next line was gonna be, Are you ready for a few good men? But are you are you ready to talk about a few? No. Okay. Are you ready to? No. Are you ready to discuss the merits of the film titled A Few Good Men? That works. That works. It, it sounds oddly academic, but yes, that works. Are you ready? My soul is prepared, Dr. Jones. How is yours? All right, let's do it. I've been ready since first call. Here we go. Our movie this time around is A Few Good Men. It came out on the 9th of December, 1992, rated R, with a runtime of two hours, 18 minutes, directed by Rob Reiner. He did This is Spinal Tap and The American President. Writer was Aaron Sorkin, who also did the play. He did The West Wing and Molly's Game. Producers were Rob Reiner, David Brown, who died in 2010, and Andrew Scheinman. Reiner also produced When Harry Met Sally and The Princess Bride. Brown produced Jaws and Cocoon. Scheinman produced Stand By Me and When Harry Met Sally. Mark Shaman did the music. He did City Slickers and Sister Act. Cinematography was done by Robert Richardson, who did Kill Bill and Aviator. Editor was Robert Layton. He did Misery and Best in Show. And another editor was Stephen Nevius, who did Beware of Dog and a TV series called The Magicians. Budget was $40 million. Box office, $243.2 million. So it did okay. Oh, yeah. Did all right. I think so. Flick Metrics gives it a 72%. Cinema Score gives it an A+. And it was, it was nominated for quite a few awards. It did not win any Academy Awards, but was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Jack Nicholson, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Mixing. So, I'm shocked that it didn't win anything. Right. Yeah. No, nominated like, for all those, but didn't win anything. Like, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Starring Tom Cruise as Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Caffey. He was in Top Gun, Mission Impossible, and Jerry Jack Nicholson was Colonel Nathan Jessup. He was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Batman, and Chinatown. Demi Moore was Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway. She was in Ghost, Indecent Proposal, and G.I. Jane. Kevin Bacon was Captain Jack Ross. He was in Footloose, Animal House, and Mystic River. Kevin Pollack was Lieutenant Junior Grade Sam Weinberg. He was in The Usual Suspects, Casino, and Ricochet. James Marshall was Private First Class Loudon Downey. He was in the TV series Twin Peaks and Air Bud. 
J.T. Walsh, who died in 1998, was Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Andrew Markinson. He was in Good Morning Vietnam and Sling Blade. He, that actor always reminds me a lot of Donna Reed, mm-hmm. especially around the eyes. Kiefer Four. Sutherland. That is a that is a, a joke. That is humor. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland played First Lieutenant Jonathan James Kendrick. He was in 24 Flatliners and Lost Boys. Wolfgang Bodison played Lance Corporal Harold W. Dawson. He was in Little Big League and Aquila and the Bee. J.A. Preston played Judge Colonel Julius Alexander Randolph. He was in Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins and Body Heat. Michael DeLorenzo was Private First Class William Santiago. He was in Alive and a TV series called New York Undercover. Noah Wiley was Corporal Jeffrey Owen Barnes. He was in ER and Donnie Darko. Cuba Gooding Jr. was Corporal Carl Edward Hamaker. He was in Jerry Maguire and Outbreak. Xander Berkeley was Captain Whitaker. He was in uh, Terminator 2 and Air Force 1. Matt Craven was Lieutenant Dave Spradling. He was in Crimson Tide and Jacob's Ladder. John M. Jackson was Captain West. He was in The Hitcher and Sid and Nancy. Christopher Guest was Commander Dr. Stone. He was in This is Spinal Tap and Best in Show. David Bow was Commander Gibbs. He was in UHF and The Rock. And Josh Molina was Tom, Jessup's clerk. He was in In the Line of Fire and The West Wing. Lieutenant Daniel Caffey is a military lawyer defending two Marines charged with killing a fellow Marine at the Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. Although Caffey is known for seeking plea bargains, a fellow lawyer, Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway, convinces him that the accused Marines were most likely carrying out an order from a commanding officer. Caffey takes a risk by calling Colonel Nathan Jessup to the stand in an effort to uncover the conspiracy. You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands, ask him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. All those having business with this general court-martial, stand forward and you shall be heard. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September 6th, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate. They woke him up, tied his arms and legs with tape, forced a rag into his throat. A few minutes later, a chemical reaction caused his lungs to begin bleeding. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. Do you think Santiago was murdered? Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy. But he is dead because he had no code. He is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. How do you feel about that theory? Sounds good to me. I'll knock it all down to involuntary manslaughter. No deal. We're going to court. No, you're not. Why not? Because you'll lose. You want to investigate me? Roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who were trained to kill me. So don't think for one second you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. Orders of people die. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You. But if this case is handled in the same fast food, slick ass, Persian bizarre manner with which you seem to handle everything else, then something's going to get missed. In the heart of the nation's capital, in a courthouse of the United States government, one man will stop at nothing to keep his honor, and one will stop at nothing 
to find the truth. All right, one of our typical first questions is, when was the first time you saw this movie, and how does it make you feel? Well, real quick shout-out for the trailer music. It has a little Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm looking for a few good Pirates of the Caribbean music kind of thing going on. There you go. It seems to be a theme with these early 90s movies. The trailer music is an interesting addition. I'll just say that. Yeah. Doesn't quite, Anyways, doesn't quite fit. It was similar to music used in the movie. Was it? I think so. It, it I, 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 boy, I just don't remember it. Don't, 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 don't. It just sounded like angry pirate music. And that's cool. I like angry pirates. And I guess by extension. How long is the first time you saw this movie and how did it make you feel? Uh, you go first, man. I, no, I interrupted. I've been waiting all day to hear your, your response <laughs> to your question. Okay. First time I saw it, probably 1992 sometime. I don't, I didn't go see it in the theater, but I think my parents did and they talked a lot about it. And so we watched it and got it. And, and that's, yeah. And I would say it, it's a compelling, exhilarating movie. It just, for me, kind of falls apart, loses a step upon cross examination. Okay. I'll be curious to find out more about that. Me too. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to play. It's not the Pat Canigallo hour. Like, Jeff, I want to hear about, about your take on this. It's the Pat Canigallo 55 minutes. So I'm going to go real fast and then you get the rest of the time. No, that's not the way it works. First time I saw this, I think, I may have been in college. It was just a movie I maybe had heard about at some point. So I don't know how I came across it or how I watched it. But I, did, I certainly didn't watch it around the time it came out or any time soon thereafter but i i enjoyed this movie i i i really like the ideological drama that it that it encompasses yeah i feel like it's a overall it's a very complete movie it it does what it sets out to do so now pat tell us more well, I think it's John's turn. I have a follow-up, though. You are a fan of Aaron Sorkin. I am. That was supposed to be a question, which I don't know, maybe maybe not for all of our viewers, but like saying you're a fan of Aaron Sorkin's writing, that's like saying I breathe air, right? Like, But did you happen upon, because like I kind of know him from the West Wing and from like American President and, and that. Did you, you know, you, you, did he do American President? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was good. just thinking, I, I was like, I was just like, ooh, American president. We can talk oh. about that soon, I think. Yeah. So my question is, did your fandom of Aaron Sorkin kind of draw you to this? Or was no, this kind of I was what not aware. I was okay. not aware of Aaron Sorkin. My so my appreciation of movies, my deep appreciation of movies did not happen until college. Okay. Right. I, I enjoyed movies growing up all the time, but I never really took the time to truly get into it okay. or, or get into film. So when there would be a new movie by this director or written by this person or composed by that person, it was mostly like, oh, it's starring who? Yeah, I've seen that guy and some other things, whatever. So Sorkin as a writer would not have been on my radar. 
at all, even at the time that I watched this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I don't think I really got into Sorkin until probably my first time through the West Wing. Okay. Which was only maybe 12 years ago. Okay. And then once you, you really start paying attention to that sort of thing and you're looking and you see where that name shows up and like, oh, if you like that, you should watch what he did here with this. You should check out this thing that he wrote over there. Gotcha. It just, it, it didn't, it wasn't Sorkin that drew this, drew me to this movie. It wasn't a particular actor. I just, again, I, I think maybe at some point it was on and I watched it because I was curious or something was going on and you hear about, you have Nicholson's line, you want answers, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, that sort of thing. Right, right. That that's a huge line from this movie. And people talk about that all the time. So maybe that was in my head and I was like, ah, maybe I should check this movie out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Throwing it to the host, John. So I think for me, same thing. The first time I saw this was in college. I think I was on a little bit of a kick of... Tom Cruise movies. I think it was like right in the row there. I had seen uh, Vanilla Sky, Eyes Wide Shut, the Mission Impossible movies, and then this one was probably on the list too. So movies that I had not seen that were Tom Cruise movies. I had this like little string of times where I would just go. I'd, it was the same video store I always talk about. I think I'd go to the video store. I'd rent a bunch of tapes from like one particular actor, one particular writer, director, whoever. And that weekend I would just do a whole little like film series for each one of those. That's probably the first time I saw this. My wife and I were trying to decide. She knew that she had seen this before, but only recognized bits and pieces of it. So it could have been one that maybe we watched together like late high school, early college, something like that. So, mm -hmm. but, but we mm -hmm. knew we had, we'd probably seen it at one point. And then my response is, how does this movie make me feel? My only response is going to be Sorkin. <laughs> That's how it makes me feel. Makes me feel Sorkin. Makes me feel Sorkin, because I enjoy his writing, too. And that was one of the things I really liked. And I don't know if you guys have seen The Newsroom, his other show that he did. Yeah, buddy. Oh, man. So that kind of hit, it really hit both sides for my wife and for myself, because my wife was originally going to go into political science. So, I mean, the West Wing kind of hit everything for her. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was kind of like, that was what she had wanted to do earlier on in her life. And then before I became a teacher, I had wanted to be a journalist. So the whole thing with the newsroom, that kind of hit that side of it for me. So yeah. Newsroom was a great combination of his earlier shows, West Wing and Sports Night. Yes. Yeah. So, so yes, this, this movie makes me feel Sorkin. Makes me feel Sorkin. Yeah. And Sorkin same question. State of mind. And, and same question for Jeff. Did this movie kind of build the mythos around Sorkin for you? Or were you aware of Sorkin when you saw this? And it was like this, that kind of helped cause you to seek it out. No, I would not have known about Aaron Sorkin at the time. Okay. So my, my knowledge and appreciation of movies, a little bit like Jeff, like I always loved movies, would watch them all the time, but the appreciation for the movies and the, like the actually seeking out, like Jeff was saying, seeking out this composer or seeking out this writer or this director or this, you know, specific genre or whatever that didn't really come until later on in college. So yeah. that I, I really wouldn't have known. I probably could have told you that, well, this movie really reminds me of this movie over here. So then if you said, Oh, it's the same writer, 
I would have been like, oh, okay, that's cool. That makes total sense because I can see I can see threads here that are similar between these two movies, but I never I would not have known the name of the writer. Did you have anyone that kind of steered you down that line of looking deeper at movies? I think it actually wasn't until because in the back of my mind before I decided to become a teacher, there was a little tiny thread in the back of my mind that was like, why don't you go to film school? Like that could be really fun. Go to film school. Like if you're not going to be a journalist, go to film school, learn how to be like a movie director or something like that. And so I, I thought of in the back of my mind, I really thought of it. I had an intro to film class in college that I just really enjoyed. And I had a really good teacher in that class. And I think that class kind of, you know, jump started for me that desire to dig deeper into movies. I only asked because I was, I was thinking about how did I, get into movies in the way that I do. And a lot of it, I think, came from my very, very good friend and brother in life, Tony Rikiki. And after he and I would watch movies, either in college or we'd go to a movie or one of our dorm rooms or whatever, we'd throw a movie on. We would have, we would start having conversations about the movie that we watched. And those conversations, the more we did that, those conversations, those conversations would would grow a little bit deeper in terms of uh, the questions we were discussing. So I think a lot of my appreciation of film started coming out of the conversations I had with my buddy Tony. So I was just curious: is if did you have that same experience where someone started to either directly or indirectly get you to start looking at movies in a different way, to then really start getting you into the idea of film filmmaking and and everything that that encompasses so i was just curious but i don't want to derail the the pod that we're casting oh yeah no not at all no i think it was i I think it was a combination of that class in college really kind of teased some of that out for me some of it was also my dad we wouldn't have we wouldn't have like crazy in-depth discussions about the movies we watched but I remember, I feel like every movie that he ever liked, he would immediately go buy the soundtrack. And so a lot of times we would, you know, you'd listen to the music separately. And sometimes we would kind of talk about, it's like, oh, this part, this like really, you remember this scene in the movie? We're just listening to the soundtrack and he was making a connection between the music we were listening to. He's like, yeah, I remember in the movie during this scene, this is what they're doing. And this is why the music sounds this way. I was like, oh, that's cool. So that was kind of like one of those early probably the earliest connection to the movies is I always enjoyed watching them with my dad and then he would go buy the soundtrack and we'd kind of talk about it that way. Not crazy in depth, but later on it was that college class that I think really, really pulled a lot of that out. But yeah, probably a couple people here and there. Yeah. Anywho. Okay. Did you, did you see while we're on a little bit of a tangent anyway, did you see that they're going to come out with a live action production of the play? What do you, in what respect? Um, uh, they apparently, they apparently, or... they apparently have now have announced a TV movie of a few good men that's going to be coming out sometime in the next year or two. That story has been circulating for a while. Maybe it's nothing new. And last I heard, I believe Alec Baldwin was supposed to be playing Colonel Jessup. Okay, but a, a lot's happened between yeah. when I heard that and his current status so i don't know but i had heard that they, that they were looking at doing an adaptation of it for tv yeah okay very cool 
All right. So the basic premise of this story is, and, and we kind of, we said it in that description before we played the trailer for you, there is a Marine is attacked and ultimately dies from the attack. And these two other Marines are put on trial. And there's a little bit of a conspiracy going on with the, you know, with Colonel Jessup and some of the other higher ranking officers that are there. And the bulk of the movie is Demi Moore thinking, originally thinking that she's going to get assigned to this case and having it assigned to Tom Cruise and uh, Kevin Pollack. And then it kind of goes from there. The bulk of the movie is them making the trip down to Cuba, doing some investigation on this. And really it's kind of, I feel like for people who have never seen this movie before, the whole thing is really building to that final courtroom scene because that's what even people who have never seen this movie before, they know that courtroom scene, or at least they know the most famous line from that courtroom scene. But initially, when we first get introduced to some of these different characters, I, I have heard I have heard some different comments of people who do not like, or maybe not don't like this movie. Some of their criticisms are they felt like the Demi Moore character was unnecessary. Did you guys get that at all? I, I saw a lot of people kind of criticizing the movie from that point. They're like, I just didn't feel like her character was necessary. Did you hear, did you hear, uh, read any of the trivia? Supposedly what some movie guy producer suit told Aaron Sorkin when he was writing this? Yeah, I did read that one. Speaking of things that don't age well, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Did you hear about this, Jeff? Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah the guy said- Share with our listening audience. Supposedly, the guy said Demi Moore is not going to be her character is not going to be a love interest of Tom Cruise. Why have it be a woman and not a man? And it, and then Aaron Sparkman's response was kind of like the well, you mean the in your eyes the only reason that we should cast a woman is if she's going to be a love interest and and I think it had some other a little bit more insidious kinds of overtones and all that, but. Uh, that's that's a little jarring to read that in print. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Now, maybe I'm looking back with 30 years on glasses and all that kind of stuff, but I just, I see that stuff and it's, it's kind of head in hand moment when really, oh, wow. So it's, it's interesting though, because Sorkin has been criticized for not writing women well. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I read that and I was, that's what got me more was the, the fact that he was so eloquently speaking about the purpose of women in film when he, when one of the biggest criticisms against him as a screenwriter is that he doesn't treat women well in terms of dialogue and purpose. But at the same token, when I look at this movie and, and what is this movie about, what's this movie trying to get people to talk about? I think that may very well be something that, he wants to come out of this movie is the role of the role of women in this type of society, in this type of community, in this type of military community. Is the military community strictly a boys club or is there room for a progressive woman to come in and do her job? Now she had to find a, an alternate route to getting assigned to the case, but the but at least it it didn't seem to focus on them keeping like the glass ceiling. It, I didn't get that that was supposed to be the the crux. Of I don't the think character. it was the focus, but I think it was definitely something that we as an, an audience were supposed to take notice of. Well, see, was it or was it just that 
this was not her skill set, right? She she wasn't she wasn't a trial lawyer. But I I don't think that she would get to her status without having the skills to do this sort of thing. Because she she outranks Kathy. Well, I was going to get to that, like because there was stuff in there that that. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But I thought, and that was like some of her missteps along the way was that she blew it in court and she did just because she didn't have that experience. And then weren't they joking at the table when they were having the conversations? And she's like, yeah, my, it was like a misdemeanor drug charge or something. And the case went on for like nine weeks or something like that because she called every witness. And I don't know, I guess I always, well, and again, I am probably the wrong uh, gender to be answering this question. So I, we'd probably need to have our wives come in and take a look at it and say, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, I guess I never, not to say that it, my gosh, not to say that it doesn't exist, but I never saw that as like a focal point of the movie. Now, whether it was implied or not, I saw it more just as she wanted to get into the courtroom, but that just, she never, like never was able to develop the skill set. I'll tell you though, I'm having a hard time believing that a lieutenant junior grade who is two ranks below a lieutenant commander can sit there and mouth off and give orders and all that stuff and not get it, not get his butt handed to him. I, like I sat there, I'm just like, okay, like I don't get how that can happen. Number one, number two, he comes in, she dresses him down because like, that's the thing is he does come in. His clients are sitting there in, they've flown up. He hasn't gone to see him. He's got like a dirty uniform. He's got the apple, the whole thing. These guys are on trial for murder. And unless I miss my guess, like life in prison or the firing squad could be following. She dresses him down. And then he comes back with that completely harassing comment. Like, I think I'm sexually aroused right now. That's a, like, I, I just sat there. I was like, yeah, there were some of those moments is, that were very, very I, cringy. Yeah. And I'm like, this is this now I'm, I am 100% convinced like that, that those kind of comments were made are still being made. Like I, I, we have got a lot as a society to answer for and all that. I just find it hard to believe that like a Lieutenant junior grade could say that to a Lieutenant commander and not get it handed to him. Like, even if he was played softball and bought cases of whiskey for all the admirals in the Navy, if he played and, and, and they needed him because they figured he was going to keep it under the rug and do the plea bargain. That was the whole angle. That's why he got the in. I find that really hard to believe. And honestly, the Daniel Caffey character was our hero in this. Like after watching that, I'm like, I'm kind of having a hard time rooting for this guy. The dialogue at the end was nice, but I kind of want to see the movie where this guy gets court-martialed for conduct unbecoming, for mouthing off to a superior officer like that, maybe make it a miniseries and then find another lawyer or something like that. I, that was that was one thing that I, I just, like that whole angle, that was, yeah, it was cringy and it just, and again, like all my experience in the military, I never served a day in uniform and I'm not going to sit here and speak of it from a position of authority, but I, I would love to hear some folks weigh in. Like if, if that kind of stuff would fly, you know what I'm saying? Well, and that, uh, that always crossed my mind too. And I know very, very little about military ranks and, and what have you, but from the story, you understand that she is a superior officer to him and it always I always questioned how it was that he was able to get away with talking to her the way that he did all the time. Mm -hmm. 
without mm-hmm. there being without there being any repercussion because you can watch almost any other military film and you see someone getting their ass handed to them because of the the way they mouthed off to a superior officer. So I yeah. just I, I was that is something I was eh, maybe I don't under maybe maybe it's different in this part of the military. I don't know, but so I think it's interesting that you you bring it up that way too because part of me that was something that always stuck with me a little bit while watching this movie, even before reading about knowing that Aaron Sorkin is criticized for not writing women well and things like that, is you really start the movie with her and you kind of get the feeling that she's going to be the main character of this movie and then it takes that left turn to, oh no, it's Tom Cruise. He's he's our main character. He's going to have that big scene at the end. I would be curious to see if someone were to if even Aaron Sorkin were to rewrite this and have it be that the Joanne Galloway character has more of a prominent role in that final scene of the movie because she right. does she does a lot of the research throughout. She does a lot of the other stuff. She gets this whole thing kicked off. She's the one taking it seriously. I, I would be curious to see a, a revision of this that has her take the prominent role there at the very end because if that is one of the things that you're talking about if it's is the military a boys only club and and knowing that Aaron Sorkin got this story from his sister who had had this experience a similar experience going to Guantanamo Bay and defending a couple of marines like this I feel like that would have been a better route for this movie and and I don't know if if that's the case but it feels like that could have been a good way to tell this story but producers other folks getting in the way and saying well no we need the we need the the big budget tom cruise to be the um uh, star on the poster so that's that's what we're going to do obviously he wrote the play before this so he already had the story kind of in place and it's not because of tom cruise that all that happened but that's what i would be curious to see i'd be curious to see a revision of this that makes her a much more prominent and makes her the the primary protagonist in the whole, whole thing yeah and, and yeah and, and like i said the the rank thing and i don't want to focus just on like a technicality thing but yeah that that'd be pretty stark and not only like a rank thing that's time in the service that he doesn't have like what did he say he'd been in the service all of about nine months we'd nine been months. a lawyer for, and and he'd been a lawyer for maybe a year so yeah that was that was rough and then when you look at the follow-up she comes to apologize him for getting off on the wrong foot. And then they start to kind of go out to day. It focuses more on their interpersonal relationship than on the professional one. And well, the, the problem is that he, he was playing softball and not volleyball. He didn't sing to her in a bar. It's just, it's not right? going to work out the way he expects it to. Cause he's not doing it right. Well, in both of those movies though, this one and the one you're just referencing, Tom Cruise plays a character with daddy issues. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny because that has to do with anything, but, but in all the, in all the Tom Cruise movies, it's interesting because I've seen all, you know, the action ones where he's like the superhero and, and yeah, there's some cocky confidence, but this is like right out of the Top Gun days of thunder, like those kinds of things where it is just like, he is like full on arrogant. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Jerry Maguire maybe once or twice and all that kind of thing. And I think he's kind of that, but I got to be honest, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> I think just in Top Gun, it gets watered down because that's how they portray all the fighter pilots. In Days of Thunder, it gets watered down because that's how they portray all the race drivers. In this, 
you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like. Yeah. Cause Weinberg is, is pretty respectful towards her. Yeah. Yeah. And even when he goes down, even when they go down to Guantanamo Bay and he walks in with Lieutenant Kendrick and he's like, may I call you Kenny? No, you may not. Did I do? And then you freeze on his face. He's got, and, and I've read like Tom Cruise, like the other actors on set were like saying I was inspired. Like, I think Jeff backed me up on this. Wasn't it? Uh, Kiefer Sutherland said what Tom Cruise brought to that part and how he practiced and kept trying to like up his game. Inspired him to. Yeah. But then he's just, and Tom Cruise is that has that look. That's just absolutely like spoiled kid look. And he's like, did I do something to offend you? Well, I don't know. Again, we got a rank problem. You're a Lieutenant junior grade. I think he was a first Lieutenant. So you're asking to call him by his first name. And this guy is a serving line Marine. what do you, your whole, like, why would you even ask? Like, I just, I, I, yeah, like I said, he is, yeah, I, he's, he's not the, like the hero. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily say that's my guy. That's the guy in this movie. That's my guy. So. So do you think that his character has, gotten away with it because he gets the job done in the way that the higher ups want him to get the job done. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I see. And I don't know because like, he's got a history of plea bargains, which is why they want him on this because they want it swept under the rug. I I, I don't. Yeah. Like I, I really don't know. And I want to know his relationship with the, the, the lawyer, captain, captain, Kevin Bacon, because, but, but again, it's got, we're talking like, multiple ranks difference right and it's it's not like they're close and hanging out at the o club to get you know what i'm saying like it's there's a pretty big disparity there so is it kind of big brother little brother relationship is this is this sort of like a bigs and tank of luke skywalker situation that he made it into the service first like i i really wanted to see that relationship explored more you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I wonder if he, he, he comes into these situations. Jeff, you said it. It's all these movies. He has daddy issues. He comes into this whole situation with a really famous father. And does that give him, or does he think that gives him some pull in terms of, does that make up for some of the experience and time put in that he does not have? Maybe. I don't, it's, it's, it's worth considering. Yeah. And that's the hard part is we'll never know the answer. To this, I, I, I'm trying to think in terms of Sorkin's writing career, where does this movie fall? It's his first movie, I believe, is his first screenplay. Only because I, I, the question in my head is how well versed is he in that character development at this point in his career? Mm-hmm. We're, we're very much. What we're what we know of these characters is pretty much what we're told, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't get a lot of exploration. The character that now Caffey does show a sense of change in his character throughout the movie. Hmm. Throughout the second act of the movie, we start seeing him taking his job and his responsibility as lawyer a lot more seriously. This, yeah, this is Aaron Sorkin's first screenplay. A Few Good Men was so, his first. So I, I'm, I just wonder if maybe Sorkin hadn't yet developed that, that part of his skill set. 
to really <laughs> give us that type of character development. Because these errors that, if you want to call them errors, I don't know what you want to call them. Pat, do you want to call them errors? These errors, oh, I'm... These errors in in the way that his character, in the way that Kathy behaves, seem like very sloppy errors to make. You're you're saying Kathy's errors or Sorkin's errors in writing? Well, Kathy's errors are demonstrative of Sorkin's errors in writing. I think. Yeah. I, well, yeah, and they, they, they seem very basic level, basic level knowledge. Like you don't mouth off to a superior officer. Yeah. Right. So maybe it's just Sorkin hadn't quite gotten there yet with his craft to really hone in on those sorts of things or. But he's also, you know, I mean, well, that's, that's part of the character though, is that he doesn't respect this code. So is that the development of the character that in the beginning, especially he's mouthing off to everybody. He hasn't been in the service very long. He's probably there just because his dad was big, famous military lawyer I'm wondering if that's part of it. If part of the the point of the story is that it's this code that he doesn't know, understand, or respect, and then by the end of the story, does he at least come to respect the code somewhat or understand it better? Or I would say he understands it better. I don't know if he respects the code, right. but I think by the end of the movie, he under has a better understanding of of the code. For for my own opinion. I don't think I'm qualified in any way, shape or form to criticize anyone else's writing. So I would, I would not in any dimension say, yeah, I think Aaron Sorkin maybe made a mistake. Like I, like absolutely. Like I, I wouldn't, I don't want to be misconstrued as saying that I'm just saying that I, I think it might, maybe it's a perspective. Maybe that's his perspective or maybe he's not necessarily going for, like a, I don't want to say a realism, but maybe that's not exactly what he's going for. He's trying to build these characters as kind of like, like archetypes, right? This is the, the, the cocky young kid that's got to stand up to the seasoned, experienced older one. Do you know what I mean? And there's some people maybe are trying to help. the wrong word. Maybe just like an oversight. Right. Or maybe, or maybe it might be an oversight on his part. I think Pat just didn't want to answer the question. Pat just rejected your question. Well, I, I just, I just, like I said, I don't want to be in arrogantly saying, well, this, that, the other thing. I'm just saying that's stuff that I bump against. But again, maybe that might not be even the purpose of this. I think the purpose maybe is to get to that courtroom drama or even just to have like the other plays that we see either as plays or converted to movies where the dialogue just drives it. The, the, the back and forth, the sharp dialogue, the, the, the thought that you got to, Oh, he's setting this guy up watching this team, whatever time for the podcast, it was fun to watch these situations in court where you can tell, dude, he's totally setting that guy up. He's, he's entrapping him in his work. And it's just, the dialogue is written so well. I think that was the, the point to it. And I think, Maybe all the characters and character development and all that, it really, that wasn't necessary because the thing that they really wanted to drive in this was that drive to that courtroom scene and that breaking, like the young kids stepping up and taking down the big dogs and, and all of that. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, at the beginning, like so many great things this is an awesome movie 
but just on on my cross examination, there are things that I just I, I kind of start to struggle against or struggle with. So, a question I had for us was, do you feel like this movie? Do you feel like this movie is anti-military? Because oh, I think some I'm of signing off. Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of figured that would. Bye. I, I figured that one would get pat. My my question being because. There are, especially around the character of Colonel Jessup, there are some very interesting ways in which Colonel Jessup does and says some things that seem, from the writing point of view of this movie, it's, it's very much anti the, that military mindset or, or whatever you want to call it. But is Colonel Jessup always wrong? Because there are some things that he says, especially when he gets into that final speech at the end of the movie. He says some stuff, and he even says, "While this may be, while my existence is grotesque to you, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall." And some of the things where they talk about, "Do we do code reds?" Well, they're not in the handbook, but sometimes we use them to discipline our soldiers. And I, this is just a general question. I don't know that I have an answer, or if I have a, a necessary thought about this. But it seems like portions of this movie could be viewed as anti-military and other portions could be viewed as defending the military practices. Do you, do you guys have a thought on that one way or the other? I would like to defer to Patrick Canigallo. <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts on it, but here's the thing I'm just going to say. Sort of like no one's asking me to be in the writing room like I am so unqualified. Pat, I also I also noticed that all the lawyers are white. Would you like to comment on that as well? And no, no, as, I'm leaving. Yeah, I, I I say this very humbly because I have not served a day in uniform, and like we all know, people that have and do, and I I just think before I get sounding like I'm winding off on it, like I just. It's, a, it's all going to be with the caveat of, from my perspective, from what I've read, from what I've studied, from the people I've talked to, all those kinds of things. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I, for me, that is kind of, that is kind of hard to get over in when I'm, when I'm watching this again, it, it, like it's, it's an, it's an exhilarating film and the back and forth and there's some excellent scenes and, and all that kind of stuff. But my problem, and, and I guess my problem with that, with the Colonel Jessup character, is that that is an incredible speech at the end. And Jack Nicholson, awesome. Like, why didn't that guy not get an Oscar for that incredible performance? And Jeff, you had that story about how many times he did that take and how he was able to bring it every time and all of that kind of thing. But my problem with that is it's kind of all hollow because well, he sits there and talks about a code and honor and all that, you're talking about a guy that covered things up, hid evidence, erased flights, was responsible for the careers of two excellent Marines going down the tubes, a third one dying, and he covered it all up. So it's okay to say, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, but it really rang false because he was not really an honorable man. And then when you kind of backtrack that a little bit, that's where on a broader picture with the movie, I kind of struggle with it because this movie is very black and white in terms of, well, it's kind of like it's presented as, well, this is, 
the Marine Corps way, and that equates with Colonel Jessup's way. And then there's everybody else on the outside saying, these guys are crazy. And, you know, the line, and it's a great line, those guys are fanatical. About what? About being Marines. Well, yeah, that's, I, I can see that. But it's presented as, yeah, but those guys are, are like crazy. And then even like uh, Captain Kevin Bacon is like, don't loop me in with those guys. But again, it was like kind of like, well, I'm a lawyer. I'm different. And I think that that's where I struggle is because that's what's presented as, 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 the, as the truth. When in reality, I think it would have been a much more powerful and nuanced statement to say, it's not the Marine Corps way or like everybody else in the Marine Corps. That's just psycho. I think I would have liked to seen it better. Like that's a pretty poor commander. Here's a pretty good commander. Let's compare those two. Or what are the qualities of a leader that we want? Not these guys are nuts and that's their way. And we just happen to get caught this time. And that was my struggle with the movie is he got up there and made that big speech. And even going back to there's, the, the whole situation itself, he brutalized, there's this kid that's a screw up and what is he going to, well, we're going to train him. And then it was like, okay, well, what does training mean? Oh, it means we're going to rough this kid up. Okay. And then he even tells the Lieutenant, Lieutenant Jack Bauer, he tells him like, what did he say? I'm putting you in charge of the training. And if he doesn't pass this such and such fitness thing, I'm going to kill you. Well, <laughs> What is that? This sounds like something that I'd hear more out of Goodfellas. We're all angry at uh, Private Santiago because he had no code. Well, what was the code that he was supposed to do? Did he? Well, it was basically he was an informant. Well, again, this sounds like something more out of like like a, an organized crime movie than something that really fits with the military. And that's my problem with the Jack Nicholson character. And yeah, that's a stirring speech. And I find myself like, yeah, like I've never served a day in uniform. Like I, I can't imagine what that would be like. But all the things that I'm thinking of have nothing to do with what's being portrayed in this movie. I'll come up for air if anyone else wants to throw some in. Because like I said, there's just then as I backtrack it, there's so many like little inconsistencies with the how this whole thing came about. You know what I'm saying? Like, just put me on mute if I go too long. But it's like, okay, so you got a private soldier that's a screw up and things are going downhill and all this. Well, he starts writing letters and informing people. And then suddenly the whole thing blows up. And now we're in the office with the Colonel, the executive officer, let Lieutenant Colonel Markinson, and then the platoon Lieutenant. Well, then where's the company commander? Where's the battalion commander? Like all these guys aren't in there. And all we see is the private level soldier and like a corporal or the Lance corporal like that, we don't see any of the sergeants. We don't see any of the non-commissioned officers. These are the guys that are responsible for running these units. They're never brought in. The sergeant major, he's never brought in. That would be the person that would be in charge of this. And it's sort of like, if this guy is really that much of a screw up, I mean, yeah, they're going to they're gonna transfer him out because, oh, well, we're going to keep him and train him. Well, okay, then you're going to sit down with all your non-commissioned. Like I said, I'm saying this humbly. This is my understanding. You're going to sit down with all your non-commissioned officers and figure out a way to get, make this guy successful because like he points out, their life is in his hands and vice versa. And if the guy's not making the grade, if he's falling out on runs and all this kind of stuff, it was, uh, hey, let's, let's find a nice kitchen for you to work or let's find another thing or let's, let's figure this out. And if the guy is 
if there's a medical issue, you know what I'm saying? And, and that brought it all in because then they bring the doctor in and they basically brought the doctor in and discredited him because like the audience and everybody is just kind of left with this guy screwed up. So basically now all the officers are screw ups because they don't realize that this kid, this kid was really sick and suffering from something. And I, I like, there's this whole train of things. And, and like I said, you look at the Dr. Spinal Tap when he was sitting on the stand, it's kind of like, oh, that guy's trying to squeak out of things. He missed like, he's in, he's incompetent. And that's how it's painted. And so that's where I get kind of like this whole thing kind of falls apart for me because there's just so much of this that I think was supposed to be like, like, like stepping stones just to get you to that final courtroom drama where the little fish in the big pond, they have this big back and forth. But yeah, I just, the way this was conceived, I, I just don't see it necessarily as going down like this. And yeah, like what Jack Nicholson's character is portrayed, Colonel Jessup, just so this guy, the, the guy, in, he's going to order that he's going to order this private Marine to be hazed. And that's his idea of training. So let's explore that. How, like what training method, like, what are we going to do? Cause he falls out on a run because he dropped his rifle. Well, now he's informing on his, 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 the other guys in his squad. Well, this he's informing on the Lance corporal that was like his protector. So that does like, why is he doing that? And if he's really that miserable, like, I don't know, there's, like I said, it, and I don't know that it was necessarily some kind of like, he's trying to do a hit job on the military. I don't know, but it just seemed to all be a setup for a very excellent courtroom scene where, like I said, great dialogue and Tom Cruise kind of catches him out. Well, you said you ordered the men that not to harm him. So why should he be in fear for his life? That, that, that That's incredible dialogue. But that's where I say, when you go back and look at what got you there, it just kind of falls apart. So I don't want to just keep going for the next five hours, but like, that's the part with this that I really kind of struggle with. Is it, is it because like, are you doing a hit job on the service? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't think so. But then you're trying to get to this awesome dialogue and like just the way that you get there, just, it just kind of seems implausible. And we're really kind of, we're, we're stretching a little bit. I don't know. Those, those were my thoughts. You've just been Pat's plan. Do you think, I, it, I, do you think it has anything to do? Cause I, as you were talking and has been trying, I've been trying to think through some of this too. Do you think it has to do with kind of the final thought of the two Marines at the end, he's like, well, wait a minute, why are we being dishonorably discharged? We didn't do anything wrong. And he makes the comment, we didn't stick up for somebody who couldn't defend themselves. And I wonder if that's meant to be, no, not that it's, not that it's an attack on the military, but it's an attack on powerful positions of power taking advantage of a code that is supposed to build camaraderie, supposed to build unity, and they took advantage of that code and corrupted that code. And I'm wondering if that's part of it too. Is it is it more of a story of the powerful have to defend those who cannot defend themselves? I, I, I'm just going to real quick because I know I've been talking a bunch, but yeah, I think that's I, you're more eloquently saying what I was trying to say. I think the whole setting of the military is just kind of a vehicle to get there. You know what I'm saying? Sort of like the movie Apocalypse Now. It it wasn't necessarily about the military. It was just 
the military and the war in Vietnam was kind of the vehicle to tell the story that the guy was trying to tell, right? And and that's where I, I don't want to be so arrogant as to say, oh, yeah, it was this, that, and the other thing, especially because I've said never served. But that's what the struggle is, is because it's the vehicle to get to that overarching kind of theme, the big picture, that big theme. But I just don't necessarily like the vehicle that gets us there. Well, I don't know. I'm convinced Pat could definitely write a better movie because this would now I agree with Pat. This movie sucks. Good job, Pat. <laughs> okay. You see, you're setting me up, man. First, you're telling me, Pat, are you saying that Aaron Sorkin made an error? No, no, Pat is not saying that. Pat is not saying anything. Pat can't write a paragraph without sounding like a second grader. Okay. So, I mean, actually, you know, my, what I would really be curious to know is what knowledge did Aaron Sorkin have or what knowledge did Aaron Sorkin want his audience to have about the military? What did he expect his audience to know about the military? Because he doesn't really teach us anything about the military or different levels of military. So that means he's expecting us to have some knowledge of that. So I'm wondering if that was part of the issue here is that maybe he assumed the audience would have too much or would have more knowledge than they did. So he was able to take more liberties with creating a more negative archetype of these military figures. So that, so that when average Joe American Jeff Mazuka is watching a few good men, is Jeff Mazuka going to be going to be smart enough to say, well, that's Colonel Jessup. That's not every Colonel in the Marines. Or does he want me to think, no, that there's a problem with the Marines. And I don't know if there's an answer to this question or not, but I'm just wondering how much did Sorkin want me, want you, want all of us that watch this movie, how much did he expect us to already know about the military before he started providing his commentary through characterization on the military? Because Pat, you, you, you really did do a great job of, of summing up some of the, the glaring issues with, with, with some of this. Well, and maybe, and maybe the, maybe the third option is, is kind of, I'm going to borrow John's thing is, is, Maybe he just was like, maybe he, he or and Rob Reiner would just sit there and say, you're not seeing the forest for the trees or you're, I don't know, you're seeing the forest for the trees or whatever the right way that phrase is. See, I can't even talk, much less write a movie. But maybe the idea is, you guys, you're missing the point or Pat, you're missing the point. What I want you to see is this person standing up to person in authority and sort of like that study in the 50s, if someone said, keep ask hitting the electric shock on the thing, even though you hear the people screaming, will you still hit the electric shock? Like, I, I think maybe that's what the study is. And he is just using this as a setting for it. Like we're not supposed to necessarily focus on that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like maybe that was what the intent but clearly was. Clearly it's, it's enough of an issue that we are focusing on that. Oh, maybe that's my oh. fault. <laughs> But but regardless of whether or not that's what he wanted us to pay attention to in this movie, it is something that we're that we're paying attention to, right? You know, and and so again, maybe there's an 
at this point in his career, there's a little bit of an inexperience factor there. Yeah, that, I, that it's just an unbalanced portrayal. Whether whether it was an intentional thing or not, it's just it. There's an unbalanced portrayal of of the characters there, and we'll never know what his motivation was for it. Yeah, that that's the hard part. We don't know if that's what he truly intended, or if that was mm -hmm. just sort of a byproduct of the circumstance. Because maybe he was focusing on something entirely different in terms of what does he want his audience to get out of this movie. Like he's like like you said, maybe we're all focusing on the wrong thing, and he never paid it much mind because this what to him this wasn't the important part of the movie, right? So. And I and I got and again, like I would be curious. I'm I'm saying this humbly, like I'm just a man searching for answers. I don't, I have no answers. I have no skill with writing. I have no experience with any or all of this stuff. But I also think that how we view you know people in the service 30 years ago is different than now you know what i'm saying like i think well that goes for everything know, how we view yeah, everything 30 years ago is much different right. than how we view things now right and so it's kind of like back then we were closer to well closer to the vietnam war than we are now it was the way things were portrayed in movies like you think of the abyss right the 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 military personnel came in and the the, the commander ended up being go, going crazy. He was like a psycho guy. And then you see movies like Platoon or Born on the Fourth of July, mm -hmm. and like it's portrayed that you're seeing all the the failings that happened in and around the Vietnam War. And like that's kind of the backdrop for this. And I almost like it's funny. I almost thought I almost caught a little bit of like the stripes vibe with. Tom Cruise's character. You know what I'm saying? In what way? What do you mean? Like just, just the, the more the comedic. Yeah, the not, more the comedic. Like thumb, seriously. Yeah, thumbing his nose at at authority and them and and getting away with it. Like that was the thing, getting away with it. And now I just I just think as a society and everything is just so darn polarized. So it's supposed it's supposed it depends on which half of the aisle you go to. And you which know, half do I you mean, go to, Patrick? Which half yeah, do you go to? Make your right? decision now. Right down the middle, my friend, right down the middle. But I think now we look at those things and it's a, I, I just don't, I just don't think we necessarily look at, at our portrayals of the military kind of in the same, in the same way that we did 30 years ago. And so maybe that got a, some of that stuff got a little bit more of a pass back then. I, yeah, I don't, it's, it's, it's going to, it's frustrating because we're, we're not going to be able to answer that question. Mm -hmm. It's super frustrating. In my head, I'm, I'm comparing this movie to uh, something like Saving Private Ryan, where you 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 get a much much more positive view of the sacrifice of the military. Mm -hmm. And by positive, well, I, I I don't mean the experience was positive, but you're seeing the the the, the struggle and really what it meant to be a member of the military. And then you compare that to, to uh, a situation like Colonel Jessup, and you're looking at somebody who has how many times taken advantage of his position. Right. And, you know? and now this gets a little bit more into the, maybe the, the more minutia of it, but like I almost would have liked to have seen maybe, 
I don't know, something like that, like you almost like you saw in Platoon, where you had the good sergeant and the bad sergeant. You weren't necessarily sure which one was right, right? Or who was the good, like, give us that. And I think whatever statement you want to make on war and the military and the service and all that, I think Platoon definitely made a statement, but it, I don't know, it, was a, it, it wasn't just like, they're all crazy, they're all psycho. Don't loop me in with those nut jobs down there, you know? I, it, and that's where, like, when you get to someone that's all the way, like, a colonel, like, just a hair's breadth away from getting a, his general star and being appointed to the... I just don't see how you can get that far with being like this sadistic, like nut job that's going to like take, give direct orders for the hazing of a private level Marine. Like, I, I just, how, how does that happen? And again, you leave one whole element out of that because the whole purpose of the non-commissioned officers is they're the ones that are supposed to take care of all that stuff. And it's like, it, and again, it's my understanding, but once you start getting into I know in the army, it's the, it's the Sergeant major, right? The, the, that top guy. And I think the Marine Corps is something similar. Like that guy doesn't answer to too many officers unless it's like the Colonel, right? So his job or her job is to take care of all those guys. So like to see that element, not even happen just to go after one guy. And that's the piece too. It's like, they're going after one guy. It's not like you have a problem you got like a hard luck platoon that's just screwing things up. And that's kind of like, I would have liked to have seen that picture. Like what, what's, what's going on in, in this, this platoon? Is it just this one guy? Well, then why do we need to train this one guy? And if you mean to train this guy, then you really got to train the guy. Did you guys ever see 12 o'clock high? You saw 12 o'clock high. I have not. No. Jeff, have you seen 12 o'clock high? I don't think I have. Oh my gosh, it's a great movie about the Second World War and what's his name? Not Robert. Gregory Peck plays this commander of a bomber unit and they've got like the commander everyone likes, but it's not, things aren't going so well. So they bring him in and this guy's like hardcore and they all think he's this sadistic, crazy guy, but then his methods ends up working and they actually explain it. And it's, it's a great study. Anyways, like that's all I'm saying is that it's just, you never get it. Use less words, Pat, use less words. I just, it was like, it seemed like Jessup was a proxy for the military overall. And okay, he went over the line and we proved him wrong. And yeah, you don't need a uniform to have honor and all that. But that was the message. And it was like, let's not make this a a referendum on, okay, all the crazy stuff that we see in the military is right or wrong. Let's make this a referendum on good leadership is right or wrong. And we're not seeing good leadership, right? Like so again, I go back to is that does Storkin expect us to be able to figure that out on our own? I don't know, but that, that's why Jessup's that speech it's not, it, that it's not that it's it's a it's a Colonel Jessup thing. It's not a leadership thing. You know what I mean? It like yeah. does does Storkin trust the audience enough to be smart enough to say, well, clearly that guy doesn't represent all of the Marines. That yeah, guy and that's is, that guy is off his rocker. Yeah, and then and and like I said, it just happened to be set in this in this world. I think that's why specifically that's why I think that line comes in at the end, where he's like, and and the one guy doesn't. I think it was Loudon doesn't understand. Like, why are we still in trouble? We did what we were supposed to do, and the one guy makes that comment. I don't remember exactly what his words were, but it was something like, "No, we were supposed to defend." 
those that can't defend themselves or we're supposed to defend the helpless or however he says it. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if that was Aaron Sorkin's way, the writer's way of, of saying, if you didn't get the message up to this point, that's what the message is. Yeah. Last chance for anybody that didn't get on the message train. This is what the message is of the movie. Yeah. Because that's, that's the other thing too, is you look at this and nothing ends positively for any of the Marines in this movie. Definitely not for Colonel Jessup. Markinson committed suicide. First Lieutenant Jack Bauer is going to get arrested. These two guys who were following orders and doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing, they have been dishonorably discharged, which for them, they're going to, they're going to forego serving any time. But for them, the whole thing was the code. It was being part of the community. It was being Marines. They're fanatical about being Marines. Well, now they don't get to be Marines. And they've been dishonorably discharged for following the code they thought they were following. So really the only the only thing that ends happily for anybody in this is for Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why when I come away with I've seen this movie a couple of different times now. This is probably maybe the third when I watched it this week was maybe the third or fourth time I've seen this movie. And I come away from watching this movie and this time in particular, before it was always Oh, it's a it's a great legal drama, great courtroom scene at the end of the movie. But I came away from it this time being like, man, that's actually a bit of a downer. Like, mm-hmm. ev- almost everybody lost except for the cocky jerk that we didn't really want to side with from the beginning because, in Pat's words, he was kind of being a jerk. Mm-hmm. So I still like this movie. I don't want anybody to get the impression I don't like this movie. I still really enjoy this movie. But... I don't. Pat ruined it for me. Pat ruined it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just one guy's opinion. It's okay. Pat, uh, Jeff is now going to become a Patreon subscriber, so it's okay. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to become a Patreon subscriber and yeah. just keep yeah. it going. But yeah, it, it just made me think more about it this time because I was like, wow, I I totally forgot that pretty much everyone's life is now devastated except for Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. Even the good guys. Even the guys that well good guys the guys thought they were doing good by following the orders and maybe that's part of the message too yeah maybe sorkin was way ahead of his time and he wanted people to be having these conversations 30 years in the future right he was thinking specifically about the three of us but i i kid but at the same time i don't like maybe he wanted to start prompting this conversation of what's going on in, in leadership mm-hmm. in the military. Because one of the trivia yeah. things, one of the trivia things was if you look at the different ribbons that are on Jessup's uniform, that he has, oh, I had it here in front of me and then I, I think I closed the window. He had the, oh, shoot, here it is. Uh, one of the ribbons on Colonel Jessup's dress uniform jacket is the Navy Cross. This is the second highest award for wartime valor given to Navy and Marine personnel behind only the Medal of Honor in order of precedence. So Mm -hmm. this guy is about as highly decorated as you could possibly be, just about. And yet, with all those decorations, he he has taken that power, he's corrupted that power, he has then corrupted people underneath him. So, yeah, maybe it's part of a conversation as to we... We award these people for, and not that he didn't deserve it. When he got the when he got the Navy Cross, whatever he did to get the Navy Cross, I'm sure he absolutely deserved it. But what he's doing now, just because he did all these amazing things, maybe it means we we don't turn a blind eye to 
leadership that becomes corrupted or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that was the, that was the thing is that it, it just, it was the leadership, right? The lack of leadership. And well, that being to, said, yeah. what an incredible, like the dialogue was amazing in this movie. Yes. Like the back and forth, like the seeing these characters, Kevin Bacon was amazing in this movie. So those scenes like boys going down, Danny. I just can't stop it anymore. But that was right after Tom Cruise just lost his cool and called him a lousy softball player or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. I thought I, that was a really good scene too. I like that. Yeah. Especially as you try to explore just what is the relationship between those two guys? Right. How, how right. do they look? How do they view each other? Yeah. When <laughs> Tom, yeah. Call the president. We're surrendering. Okay. No, actually, Tom, hold on a second. Let's have a second thought. You're dismissed. Okay, sir. And just the way he delivered each time is like, we're surrendering. Okay, sir. Belay that order. Okay, sir. Or not okay. It was yes, sir. Yeah. You know, yeah. or, no, I'm sorry. I think it was I, sir. Well, it should have been I, whatever it was. It, just, it was just like the same thing. I got, I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a kick out of that. And my favorite scene like by far was when Tom Cruise, like he's like, they're talking about the code red and everything. And uh, he's just like, this is a Marine Corps manual. Can you turn to the page with the code? Red? Well, it doesn't exist, sir. And, and, and then Tom Cruise grabs it and says, can you show me where the mess is? And the guy's was like, oh, it's not in here. You mean you haven't eaten it to you? Like, I just thought, and the way it was delivered, I thought that was, that was awesome. Well, that aspect of the movie, of course, is going to be top notch because yeah. that, that's where Sorkin really does his thing is, is clever dialogue and clever writing. Now, when I was criticizing his writing earlier, it was more of a, the details of the subject matter that he may, may not have had full grasp of, but anytime that he starts writing dialogue, especially confrontational dialogue between characters, it's, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. And so easy to devour and, and leave you wanting so much more, so yeah. much more of it. Did, did I understand right that this movie developed the walk and talk? Yeah, I was just about yeah, to say I, that. I, I read that. Oh, so, okay, read you, that. You, you, you go, you go. No, and actually. This, this my, movie developed the walk and talk there. My understanding is that it was not Aaron Sorkin who developed the walk and talk. It was Rob it was, Reiner. It was Rob Reiner, yeah. right? He wanted to spice up one of the scenes a little bit. He found it too boring, so he had a couple of guys walk and, and discuss. Yeah, it was uh, as Kathy and Ross were, they were supposed to be talking in an office, and Rob Reiner was like, we need a little bit more action here. Let's have them walk and talk at the same time. And so that, the walk and talk was born. Yeah. yeah. This is, yeah. I, don't, I don't want any, I don't want anybody to mistake. I, I, I still think this is a great movie. Like I know we've kind of, we've, we're dogging on it a little bit, but I think we're kind of, we're nitpicking some important details to try to get at like what the real message of the movie is and, and, and the, the meat of the movie. But I still, I don't want anybody to think that like, if we're just cause we're dogging on the writing a little bit and things like that, I still love Aaron Sorkin's writing. I still love this movie. It's still a great movie. It's just, I think it raises a lot of questions philosophically that go beyond the movie itself. Yeah. 
No, that's well said. And I, my gosh, I, speaking of rank, I don't rank anything to be able to dog on anybody about anything. So I, you're just you know, saying that because the recording's on, but the stuff you say once that button is turned off, <laughs> I say the same stuff. Oh, man. I the, say the, the amount of stuff. the amount of recorded material I've got of what you guys say when I stop the main recording. <laughs> I know. Yeah, put that in with Dennis's videos that he's got of all of us. So yeah. you've heard of the, the Nixon tapes when the Conagallo mm-hmm. tapes come out. Mm. That's right. But do you guys have anything else you want to say about this movie before we jump into our three questions? Any final thoughts, final comments? I love I, when I, you stop. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I, was saying, ahead. I, I just think on, on a less serious focus, it's entertaining as hell. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's in the, the dynamics between the characters and there is a bit of growth, a little bit of growth in Tom Cruise's character of Caffey. Once he starts looking at it and going, no, I, I'm, I am, I'm going to lawyer up. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm not just going to do the part that I was brought in to do. And just, and I, and I think he does a great job of, of portraying his nervousness with, putting Jess up on the stand when right before he starts going after him, trying to get to convince the code or get him to admit the code red, right. He takes that drink of water and you're seeing it. Like he's shaking. I know he's shaking. And, and Weinberg's like looking at him like, eh, don't do it. And just, he pours himself water. And you're just watching his hand tremble. I know that is. And, and just, the way they just let that scene develop to where Nicholson's character, the Jessup character had all like everything. And then all of a sudden he's like, I don't know what kind of outfit you're running here. And he's like, you will address this court as sir. I believe I've earned it. And then suddenly you realize, Oh, oh, it just turned. And it's just watching that build is amazing. And I, that, that was just one thing that I, that I was like, I feel like he got him to admitting the code red pretty easily mm-hmm. for someone of Colonel Jessup's stature and rank. Mm-hmm. You would think he wouldn't be that quickly caught off guard. Right. Especially if we're supposed to believe he's got a history of manipulation and cooking the books and doing things outside of the, the realm of decency. Right. You would think he wouldn't be caught off guard as quickly as he was. Now that was probably just for the sake of the movie and speeding things along. And Uh, that's that point, but that's one piece that I've, I've read like, and a boy I'd like any of our listeners that are like lawyers or involved with the law, like let us know. But I watched some of those little specials where like a lawyer breaks down lawyer scenes and movies and stuff. And uh, that was one thing is they said, yeah, you're going to coach all your witnesses or all your, what do you, yeah, witnesses, right? Is that what you call the people you bring in? Yeah. Yeah, witnesses. Okay, it didn't sound right in my head for some reason, like so much. But they said that like they're coached to like, yes, no. That's all you say. Like, don't expand, don't go off, don't. And they said that, yeah, like that was, it was almost, it made me think of like when he first gets down to Guantanamo Bay and Tom Cruise like, I just, just have a couple, couple questions for you. And he starts asking him and Colonel Jessup's just like, yes, no. 
yes. And he's like, feel free to fill in any blanks that you might have or connect any dots for me. Thank you. I mean, like that's yeah, like, where, where did that guy go all of a sudden? Yeah. That yeah. So, fr- so freely diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah. And, 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 and that's where it cycles back. Like, and I won't be repeating myself. You get that awesome speech, but again, it falls flat because the per- person being portrayed was not a good leader. That's where that awesome speech. And maybe that was all within the intent. But like, that's where I don't have a, oh, well, is it this choice or the other? Why do you hate them so much? Because they beat up on a weakling. They, okay, he has a point. Why do you like them so much? Well, they stand on a wall and, okay, but is it an either or? Like, is that, is these our only two options? Really? Like, but that being said, Nicholson's delivery was great. And I love reading all the stuff about Kiefer Sutherland inspired by Tom Cruise's attention to detail, right? And they said, Correct me if I'm wrong, but then they say Jack Nicholson was like the guy having the most fun. He was the life of the party. And, and yeah. apparently, well, it, Jeff, you should tell that story about him giving that speech because that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, so that speech in the courtroom that he gives when he's on the stand, they wanted a couple of different character reactions. So they had him give that speech a number of times. And he brought it every time. And every time he would give the speech, they'd have the camera focused on a different one of the characters to get that reaction. So when you're watching the film and you're seeing him give that speech, that was actually the last take. That was the last time. And if he brought it that well on his fourth or fifth or sixth take, like you got to imagine those first few might've just been like completely blown your mind. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, he brings it and he he develops this character that clearly you're not supposed to like, and he does it so well. And is just such a solid, awful character. But, and I was saying to you, Pat earlier, and I never got around to looking at a full list of Nicholson's work, but it's up there, like towards the top of one of my favorite Nicholson characters. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. His, well, his and Colonel Jessup is just awful. And that's and, exactly what it's supposed to be. And what I want to know, well, not what I want to, I, I read that they, they said that like, Jack, we got to do another take. And he's like, something like, I love acting. This is great. I'll do, or this is fun or something like he was just all like, I would love to meet Jack Nicholson. Like I think of any actor out there. I wonder how much is Jack Nicholson like or different than his person. You know what I'm saying? Just because like, the characters he creates, like I would love, like of all the actors out there, I would love to sit and like have a conversation with him. You know what I'm saying? Go to a Lakers game with Jack Nicholson. Like, I don't know, man, that guy, wasn't it about, didn't he like go after some guy's car with a golf club or something? Like, that's like the one crazy thing that they said he did. Uh, that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, Jack, I, I agree. Like Jack Nicholson is just a, he's a lot of fun, man. All right. Are we ready for three questions? All right. Well, yeah, we should do three questions. Maybe everything I've said is garbage. Listeners, viewers, maybe just maybe I'm just full of malarkey. I don't know. Everybody, thanks for listening to the 30-something movie podcast. The last hour and a half has been a waste of your time. <laughs> it's been malarkey. <laughs> there you go. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. 
three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. So, Kathy you know, has... I, I just, actually, just looking ahead at, at these questions... Yeah. Question two... I don't know if I have give, the energy for this one. I'll give a three. Word, I'll give a three-word answer. I promise. We've we've kind of already touched on that a little bit, so. I know, but I was just looking at the questions again. I was like, "Oh God, I don't know if I've got the energy to do this again." That's all right. But, I, okay. Question one, one. One and three may go fast. So for question number one, so Kathy has his baseball bat. Do you have something that helps you concentrate when you need to work and focus on something? And really concentrate. Do you have an object? Do you have a piece of music? Do you have a what have you got? Have you got something that helps you concentrate? Every now and again, a stress ball will like help keep me focused. If there's if I've just got a lot going on, or just trying to figure something out, think think something through, and just really need to give something a certain level of focus that I just can't seem to do. I'll get a stress ball out and I'll start doing that, squeezing that a bit and just trying to help keep my mind pointed where I need it to, to be. But I don't know if I've ever had been like stress ball. Where's my stress ball? Somebody get my stress ball. I, I, I don't know if I've got that one particular object. That was a pretty good scene. Don't ever put my bat away. And then he goes yeah. and he's like, I'm going out. He really does think better with that thing. That was that was that was a great scene. That was pretty awesome. That was fantastic. John, what helps you think and focus? I actually have a playlist. It's booze, it's booze isn't it? Well, it's it doesn't hurt. Let's put it that way. He really does think better. I actually for me it's a it's a playlist. Like I have a playlist of music, and oddly enough, it's James Horner. So I have in in particular, I found a CD several years ago that was the last thing he ever completed before he died in June of 2015 and is called Collage. And it is like some of his works, I think some were even kind of unfinished works, but it's just, it's a collection of different pieces. Some I think from, might've been from a documentary he had worked on. And I, I don't know. I just really, I really enjoy the pieces of music. They don't, some of them don't sound like other pieces that I've heard from James Horner before, but at the same time, in some of these different pieces, there are little hints of the Rocketeer. There's little hints of Aliens. There's little hints of Legends of the Fall, stuff like that. So I just, I really like that playlist. And if I need to just sit and concentrate, I'll pop in my earbuds, I'll put on this playlist, put it on repeat, and just let it go. Speaking of music, you guys in a previous episode did talk about, again, you circled around that question of when a composer borrows from themselves. And I think the thought that I had listening to that, I don't what, I don't remember what movie it was that you guys were talking about. It was uh, Patriot Games. Was it Patriot Games? Yeah, because it was James mm-hmm. Horner. So the fact that Horner used the same piece of music but retitled it, I think that bothered me. 
So I, th- I think if, if a composer wants to reuse their own piece of music, great, that's, that's their prerogative. But if they're going <laughs> to retitle it something different, I think that's kind of, that's kind of crap. At least stick with what, I don't know. I just, I feel like that, that that's a cheap way, a really cheap way to get around that sort of thing. Unless the title comes from a, like a cue, right? And it's called Motorboat Escape or whatever, just because that was the music that happened at that point in the film. You know what I'm saying? Or no, I, it was. I, I don't think that matters. I think if that's the title of that piece of music, then that remains the title of that piece of music. Now, you do how many some some of the music that we listen to, artists don't go back and change the title because they want to resubmit it a different way. Maybe if it's not officially put out yet or or published yet, and they're kind of working through it, I think that's a different scenario. But if you're publishing a piece of music under a specific title, and then you're going to go and use that same piece of music, you're just going to call it something different to give the essence of it being something new mm-hmm. that's kind of cheap that's all that's yeah. all i'm going to say about that yeah anyway concentrating pat how do you concentrate what do you hold on to to help you concentrate <laughs> resentment <laughs> other than bitterness and anger mike rudges irish alzheimer's no I, you know what movement i gotta move like i pace I talk with my hands a lot. This, the joke in high school, Tammy used to come up behind me and just like watch this. And she'd like hold my arms to the side of my body. And I'd like suddenly start like stuttering because like I, I movement. And that's a lot of times on the podcast. Well, one to stay awake, but two, like sometimes I'll just like be walking around just because it helps me think, or I don't necessarily like sitting still. I like getting up and moving or even going out for a run. Like I'll go out for a run. Like I'll, I'll like figure stuff out or think I figure stuff out or whatever. But yeah. For me, it's just any kind of movement. Pat, I'm imagining your wife coming up behind you and holding your arms down and it being like, what is that called when you turn a shark upside down? Uh, tonic immobility? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I, I'm, it. I'm kind of picturing that. It's just like you go into like a like a comatose state when your arms yeah. are being held down and you're not allowed to move. I'm going to yeah. do that soon tomorrow during band. I'm going to sneak up behind him while he's conducting, just hold his arms down next to him and just watch him that's pass right. out. Flip, flip that's Pat right. upside just, down. Just, just remember, if I go down, you might want to run far and run fast because, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, the lions get get loose in the zoo. You know what I mean? He is the band director. I, I was going to say, though, that's the thing. Like, that's where if I just sit down and sit still, and the, ki- the kids at school all laugh at this, but I'm like, guys, honestly, you could all be sitting in the room. I sit there on the floor. Give me 30 seconds. I'll be asleep. Done. I can, attest, know, without... I can, I can attest to that. Yeah. Can you, yeah. And that's, it's, it's the movement thing. It's just, oh, it's, it's rest and recuperate time. Boop. Like right. Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi turn, turning the knob on the Death Star. Boop. Mm-hmm. And then the other tractor thing beam is down. The other thing I do to help me concentrate is I'll, I'll start writing things out. Yeah. Like post-its all over the place, lists, mm-hmm. task lists for sure, ideas. I just need to get down. Just I'll start writing, just writing, 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 getting, trying to figure <laughs> things out. Yeah. yeah. All right, question number two, and since we don't want to be here all night, (laughs) question number two. Here, The quote from the movie, Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. Is Colonel Jessup right? No. Okay. 
I feel like Pat wants to say so much more right now. Pat, in 20 seconds or less, why no? Well, it didn't save lives. Santiago ended up dying. Careers of two Marines was ruined, and Markinson ended up dying. So I don't know how hazing a person to death saved someone else's life. I think, it, and I'm not saying this is what I believe. I'm saying what Colonel Jessup believes, that if that Marine was allowed to continue, that it would have cost lives later on. The needs of the that, many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And again, then, I'm not, I'm not saying just, this is what I believe. I'm just... Right, right. Then then you just transfer them, right? Yeah. Then then, then, then it's... And, and if you're going to take that one guy out because he's failed, that's where I keep going. Like, okay, who's the squad leader? Who's the platoon sergeant? Who's the, like, you just keep going up until it's, because it's, it's usually not one guy who, and, and if he's that, you know what I'm saying? Like transfer him. And you could say, well, we're transferring our problem. Okay. Well make him a cook. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just, that's kind of that piece. And that's where if we're looking within the movie. That's where the Colonel Jessup character, that, that speech, that's where it all rang hollow. It wasn't like a, we're going to, it's not like you're seeing a battlefield decision where this person had to advance, had to run through the door first or advance on the machine gun nest or whatever, and, or jump on the grenade to save three other people's lives, right? Like that's something that service personnel might be asked, could quite possibly be asked to do if you're serving in a forward area. This was kind of like what Lieutenant Weinberg said. He just couldn't, all we see is he just couldn't run fast enough and he had a medical condition and, but we turned a blind eye to all that. And so that's where, yeah, did it save lives? I don't know because we see two people dead and two people's careers ruined. So like, like I get what they were going for. I just don't think the vehicle to get there did it for me. I, it's a I great like, movie, still a yum, but I yeah. say no. I, I, like, I like your solution. Make him a cook, put him on a battleship, and you get last week's movie. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. You, there it get, is. Well, you get under actually, siege. hey, do you guys have five more hours? Let's bring back the discussion from Hua. What was that movie? Scent of a, yeah, woman. Scent of a woman. In terms of uh, informing it, is it right and wrong? And what's the bit like? Mm-hmm. Let's let's let's. Here's part two, right? So. There you go. To answer all of our questions, just go see the previous episode on Scent of a Woman. Yeah, these movies are upside down. You got the cook that's the Navy SEAL on the battleship, and you got the guy that... Jeff, do you have a response, or are you just going to say ditto? I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. I think that's my answer, too. I think... I think to a certain, absolutely not saying that, that Jessup is right. So I guess my answer is no, if I'm not, if I'm saying he's not right. I think, I wonder if in his mindset, again, not saying that it's correct, in his mindset, does he feel like that's a slippery slope to, oh, well, this kid's got a problem, so now i got to transfer him out. What if I'm now transferring everybody out? Like, what if it's the slippery slope to I made an exception for him, now i got to make an exception for the next person and the next person, and the next year there's going to be five people i got to make exceptions for. And then I'm wondering if from his mindset as maybe an old-school military guy, is he viewing that as, nope, I just got to I gotta, I gotta beat this out of him. i got to run this out of him. i got to train this out of him. 
everybody can be trained and ignoring the fact that there's a medical condition here. I'm wondering if that's what he thinks. I think he's, I don't think he's right. So my answer to this is no, but I'm wondering if that's part of his mindset is, well, if I make an exception here for this guy, I feel like I'm going to have to start doing that a whole lot more. And then the safety of the United States of America collapses. I think the question is from one point of view, like you mentioned is when you have the wrong, when you end up having the wrong guy or allowing the wrong guy to do the job that he's not qualified for. And I'm thinking Santiago, but hell Jessup, right. But if Santiago ends up, being in a position where he shouldn't be because he's not cut out for that, that could cost other people their lives. Now, in terms of the context of this movie, does his death save other people's lives? Well, as Pat pointed out, no, because you've got two Marines that are dishonorably discharged. You've got, Santiago, who's dead. You've got the the other guy who killed himself. You've got Jessup, whose career is shot. You've got Jack Bauer, whose career is shot. Let's let's take this. I'm going to take this in a completely different way. Buckle up. If Santiago hadn't died, you wouldn't have this investigation. You wouldn't have this court case and the corruption of Jessup and... Lieutenant Jack Bauer and all those other people would not have come to light. Then Jessup gets into an even higher position of power and the corruption is still there. The bad leadership is still there. The potential for more deaths or more mistakes. The stakes are higher then. So on a larger scale then, and again, I'm not saying it's right that in real life, I don't want anybody to die. But in the confines of this story, does Santiago's death ultimately save lives? Uh, I, again, I, I, my thing I bump up against is I kind of reject the nature of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't see how someone could get that far with this track record unless this is like a like a completely hidden thing yeah. that then yeah. all of a sudden, because like I said, y- you, run, you run it like that you're going to end up with a mutiny. You know what I'm saying? Like, like at some point they're just going to push back and just be like, and I hate to say it, but yeah, they're going to do, it's like the old man is crazy. Like that's just, and that's where, that's where the aspect of this movie that wasn't there, the whole non-commissioned officers, all the sergeants, all the people that run the thing, that, that was, that piece was lacking. Now, if every single all the the lower officers and the and the non-commissioned officers were like, yeah, this one guy, this is what we need to do because the entire Guantanamo Bay Marine contingent hinges on this one guy. Okay, then that's fine. But otherwise, it's just like, no, let's just transfer this guy out. And then if there's a problem where this is happening all over the place, well, then you investigate the problem. And if it's all happening in one place, then you take a look at the leader. Then maybe Lieutenant Jack Bauer isn't as good as what we may. Do, do you, you know what I'm saying? Like it all, it all comes back to leadership, and that's the piece that was missing. You don't see any leaders taking accountability, and that was the piece. That's the piece that's missing. He never takes accountability. Lieutenant Jack Bauer never takes accountability. 
They never listen. His XO was sitting there saying, let's get him off the base. Let's transfer him. But is the it, is the death of Santiago the only thing that forces accountability? Would, forces would, a, would they have ever no, been because, held accountable if he hadn't died? I... I think it. I think at some point, if it's really that bad, but that's that's the piece you don't see. Yeah. Is this just this one thing that he blew it, and he just tried to cover it up, and that's what it is, or is this like a track record? And that's where I get like I don't see, because they know everybody, and like everybody within that military circle would all know. It's not like it's a surprise. You know what I'm saying? If he's, do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to be like, oh man, this is what this guy was like. Everybody knows in any kind of thing, in a business, in a school, in a whatever, who the leaders are, how people behave, what their idiosyncrasies are. So that's where it's like, that's the piece we don't see. Is this just everything was going great and now there's this one screw up and he's, it's just ego? Or is this like a track record of, does he have this whole complete history of this? And, and like I said, it's a great story. It's a great movie, but it's just that cross-examination piece that kind of, there's some crumble there. Yeah. I, you know, I, and I'm not presenting it. I don't want to sound like I'm presenting any answers, but that's where I, your question. Yeah, it's a good one, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I've never been in that situation. So it's hard for me to say, yep, time to sacrifice a life. Like sure. I, I don't. And the fact that he does that so casually, it's just not a very effective leader. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question. Yes. What if it had been Private Steve Rogers before the Super Soldier Serum? What about him? Well, what happens if they sacrifice him? There'd be no Captain America. Yeah. He was a substandard soldier. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. What happens if they just would have code redded him and then he was out? We'd have no Captain America. That's true. There'd be, I know, I can't do this all day. There'd be none of that stuff. It's true. We'd all be It'd dead. be all Iron Man. Dennis would be angry. I'm just saying. That's true. That's I'm true. just saying. No, and, and no shawarma for anybody. No shawarma. Yeah. Question number three, can you handle the truth? Yes, I don't like not getting the truth. I don't like surprises. I don't like the, do you want the good news or the bad news? I don't like sugarcoating. I just like to know where I stand. Like Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh Give it to me straight. Jeff, can you handle the truth? Depends on the question. <laughs> you can handle the truth, Jeff. I don't know if I can always handle the truth. <laughs> I think I would like to believe I can handle the truth. You can handle the truth. Let's, let's say I would, well, oh, let's, let's say getting, I would want the truth. getting really bossy tonight. He is, kind of. Well, no, it's affirming. Who, look who knows so much. Nope, it's affirming. I'm saying yes, you can. Pat's Pat's holding his baseball bat and thinking. I would like to say that I I would want to be able to handle the truth. I think possibly yes, it might depend on what truth is being shared, but and how well I would handle it initially. But yeah, I'd I'd like to say I I can handle the truth. Varying degrees of how well I handle it. We'll put it that way. I will try to handle the truth. Okay. That's the best I can do. All right. Sometimes we need to take a break, break from handling the truth. There are truths out there bigger than what I can comprehend, such okay. as Pat's truth about a few good men. Uh-huh. 
I've got no truths. It's just observations. I said it from the beginning. That's a that's a lot less dramatic scene at the end of this movie. He's like, I think I'm entitled to the truth. I'll try to handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel, Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick. Cut Kendrick. these guys loose. Your Honor, you are Marcus inside a bony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, you coerced the doctor. Consider yourself in contempt. You. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. Oh, my gosh, she just says that so well. I want the truth. Yeah. That is... I feel like he also did a lot of table thumping, Pat. Did you, did you, would you appreciate that in the courtroom scene when he's, like, pounding on the table? Well, as was confirmed... I was not the only table thumper. I might not have been the table thumper. Uh huh. Okay. I love that. That's an actual term. <laughs> Are you the table thumper? No. No. I'm not the table thumper. That's two of us. I'm not the table. How about thumper. when Mark? How about when Markinson gets into the car? That's just pretty slick, you know. Yeah. And they but build that he, guy up when he's just there. <laughs> yeah, he's I know. I know. I know. Well, be, before we before we sign off, I did realize I forgot to say of the three lawyers, the one that I connect with most has got to be Weinberg. Oh, hell yeah. Because I, the whole time I'm like, I'm actually with that dude. Like that would that would be me in this situation. Well, the other two just seem to have like that. They, they, they both behave as if they have something to prove. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Weinberg's whole thing is like, I'm just here to represent. Weinberg is Weinberg is the Toby of the situation. Hi, I have no responsibilities here whatsoever. <laughs> Actually, the next PLC, I'm going to be saying I, that. I was like, going to say, can we walk into a meeting and just be like, "Hi, I have no responsibility here I whatsoever." I have no responsibilities here whatsoever. All right, I think I'm doing that. All right, gents, that's been three questions, and that's been a few good men, along with a few good men here. So thank you, as always, for being here with me. And uh, magically, I think my voice might have survived, mostly. It's good. You're sounding it's, good. I'm, I'm getting there. We're doing fine. We're doing fine. So we've got a lot of really good stuff coming up over the next few weeks or so. We have got, in the month of April here, finishing out April, our Patreon episode, which may or may not have come out at this point by the time this one comes out. That was High Noon from 1952. Love, love, love that movie. So that's the Patreon one. There will be a preview that comes out, but it's only a, a portion of that episode. If you want to hear the whole thing, you got to go over and become a Patreon supporter so that Pat can hate your favorite movie. And uh, and you get a bunch of bonus content, too. So Pat can hate your favorite movie, and you get bonus content. Oh, 
maybe that's the thing. Just just sign up, have your it's, have us roast your favorite movie. It's it's a service that we provide here at the Thirty Something Movie Podcast. And then finishing out the month of April is Universal Soldier, so that'll be coming next week. Then in May we've got Singing in the Rain from 1952 is our Patreon episode. Then we've got Cool World, Newsies, Aladdin. And Noises Off. Then in June, we've got The Godfather from 1972 is our Patreon. And then the rest of the movies that month, uh, it's The Man Show. So everything has got the word man in it. We've got The Distinguished Gentleman, Encino Man, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Lawnmower Man, and Candyman. So all kinds of good stuff coming up over the next few months or so. And I think either in July or August, Pat, and I, we still got some time to prepare for that. I think that's when our Patreon was going to be favorite motorcycle movies. Yeah, man. So you, uh, you you called my you, or I called your bluff or you called my bluff on that one. You did like you you sent me this like novel of ideas like the moment I even mentioned it. So <laughs> yeah. like Pat, yeah, you were just, like, what about a movie where you, or a thing where you just talk about motorcycles and within point oh six seconds there was like eighty uh-huh. movies and uh-huh. <laughs> yeah yeah I I know if I need anybody to go to extremes on something I'll just find something Pat does enjoy and. Uh, <laughs> Ask him to give me ideas for it. So, All right, gents. Thank you for being here, as always. I always have fun talking movies with you guys. Yeah, John. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. This hey, was nice fun. Thank you, guys. Good to see you guys. And everybody, we will be back here next week with Universal Soldier. So in the meantime, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. And we'll see you back here next week. Absolutely.